0: Whether you watched her on the hit TV shows, F or Urban Zone, or followed her through her blog, Daphne.ph, Daphne Osenia Paez was, in many ways, the OG lifestyle influencer. She opens up to us about her broadcasting career and aging in an industry that is known to be unforgiving, as well as deciding to build her own brand in a time without Instagram and TikTok, when it was still widely unheard of and to an extent frowned upon. My name is Leah Cruz. On this episode of What Glass Ceiling, we talk to Daphne osenia Paez. Hi, Daphne. How are you? Hi, Leah. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for joining us on What Glass Ceiling. We're oh, so excited to have you. Thanks for inviting me. You know, you're actually chatting with us all the way from Canada.
1: <laughs> right now, yes. I'm in Toronto. Still in are, quarantine. You're still in quarantine. What, what, yes. what are you doing over there? I'm sending off my daughter. My, our eldest daughter is going to university. So helping her set up.
0: How does that feel, though, that you have a daughter that you're sending off to university?
1: Mixed feelings. It's something that we have always uh, imagined for, for them, that they would go to university in Canada. Um, but of course, there was also like a lot of nerves, like, will she get in? <laughs> will they eventually get in? Um, it's, a, it's a very good school. It's my university, University of Toronto. So when she got in, we were so happy, but at the same time, also a little sad because it also meant that our family setup would change. And uh, the past year and a half during the pandemic, really, uh, not that we were not close before, but the fact that we were all in our little bubble made our family unit stronger. So now it's going to be redefined like we won't be complete she'll be here and we'll all be in manila but it's all good considering everything that is happening in the world it's a blessing i mean she gets to go to university and they will try to have face to face i think as much as possible what else have you been up to I am doing... Okay, yeah. Well, I'm doing a new show called Recreate. Um, It's not so new anymore because we've actually taped more than half of it. Um, And luckily, we were able to shoot a lot of our um, material before ECQ. So um, the show is produced by Signal Network for um, One News. And Recreate is about um, creative people and their role in this pandemic and how they have uh, recreated their craft and their their art. Because the previous two seasons were called Create. Okay. It was uh, about um, artists and their work. It's like a biography, masterclass type of thing. So we re- re- redesigned the show to see how these artists and creative people are expressing themselves um, in this very unique time. So um, I couldn't, you know, at the time when, when the pandemic happened, I couldn't imagine going back to work, actually physically shooting outside. There was a lot of fear. But, you know, with the vaccination and all the protocols in place, we were safely able to safely do it. And at the same time, um, I didn't want to just go back and shoot like everything was normal because nothing is normal now. So, we had to address how people dealt with this and are dealing with this new situation so it's yeah. quite a, a a great opportunity to be able to work during this time yeah yeah
0: you you've been in the business for quite some time. I mean, you've had quite a <laughs> storied broadcasting career
1: yeah, since ninety nine I think oh no no ni- ninety seven yeah
0: ninety seven yeah so it's been it's been some time, and you're still at it. Was that was being in broadcasting, being in media, becoming an icon in the lifestyle beauty and fashion worlds are those things that you know you thought you'd ever be doing are those things that you set out to do?
1: never if you knew me, I'm very shy, actually. I grew up quite shy, and uh in Canada, I grew up in Toronto, so in toronto you're you're supposed to study what you want to be so If broadcasting was in my dreams, I would have studied it, you know, but I didn't. I studied art history and urban planning. And I really wanted a life that was um, outside of Canada in development, in development, international development, which I did. I practiced uh, urban planning uh, within an international setting for about four years, which led me to the Philippines. So this whole broadcasting thing was accidental, my Canadian company sent me to the Philippines in the nineties to manage, um, an urban planning and environmental management program that Canada, the government of Canada funded in the Philippines. But we were also doing this in Mexico and in the Baltic. So I could have been anywhere. I was actually working in Mexico first, Mexico city, and, uh, actually, you know, in Aguascalientes and then, um, But when they sent me to the Philippines, it was really by chance. I had no intentions of coming back here. My whole family is in Toronto, but it was all by accident. I was doing my work for the urban planning um, uh, company and I was in Guimaras Island in the 90s where there was no internet. It was a newly uh, declared province. It was just a sub-province before and then it became a province. So there's no internet, no nothing, no TV. I didn't know anything, but... The family, the the governor of Guimaras was a family friend of ours and um, she married a Lopez. She was a governor, Emily Lopez. So she said, what is a young girl like you doing in this island? You should be in Manila and you should be on TV. And I'm like, what? TV? Like, I cannot be an actress. I'm too shy. And then she said, no, no, you can be in broadcasting. So that's how it started. I got my introduction to ABS-CBN via... Uh, the governor of Qumaras. And then the rest was, you know, I actually, I stayed in ABS just for a year. My parents said, what? You're leaving urban planning to be in broadcasting? That's crazy. Like, and in the Philippines, like you're going to be all alone there. So um, I said, just give me a year and I'll just see what I can do. It's still experience. And then I'll go back to Canada and see what else I can do. Uh, When I did that, I fell in love with the sea. I fell in love with... um, scuba diving and I was like I I want to live in the Philippines and dive every weekend which I did so it was really fun and then eventually I fell in love with my future husband <laughs> and found a way to stay in the Philippines
0: but broadcasting though I mean you you stuck to it because you said yeah. you never you never thought that you'd get into it yes so was was that sort of a Was that a love affair too? Did you end up loving it as well?
1: You know, I, yeah. I always tell my daughters, be open to surprises because you don't know, you plan your life. I planned my life and I was on, I was on the right path. I was doing international work at 24, you know, and I was, you know, getting opportunities at the World Bank and, and things like that and doing development work, field work at such a young age. But things happened and I didn't even dream of it, but it was so sweet. I have to say, though, that in the beginning, like um, my entry to broadcasting was as a reporter. Um, and uh, my first position was in um, Malacanang uh, Press Corps. But as a young reporter with no, really no education in the Philippines, I mean, I had elementary education here, but I didn't know much about politics and the system. So I was learning on the job and I was covering President Ramos like day one and the uh, So I felt like, wow, this is it. Like, this is the (laughs) the highest I could ever be in broadcasting. I am in the palace. Like, wow, that's so cool. Then I realized, like, oh, I'm not really doing much. I'm just waiting for a soundbite. And I was kind of like, after a few months, I said, this is not the broadcasting. I want to tell stories. Like, I just, I don't want to wait for a soundbite from the president. I want to tell stories. So that started my curiosity about the medium. And then, um on weekends, Patrick, who was already a veteran journalist at the time, he's covering wars and things like that, he said, "No, let's tell our own stories. I'll take a handy camera, like you know, these little handy cams so my 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 uncle lent me one, and we were we were going to Kiapo and Taal and doing little what we called video postcards. Of course, now everyone is a videographer with a YouTube channel. But back then, you didn't, you know? So I was like, okay, and then we had to edit it in ABS-CBN and things like that. And then I, I was so makapal-faced. That, like, I went to the president of ABS and showed him my, my reel. I said, look what I've done. I went to Taal and I did a video and it's, you know, and they were so like, why are you so aggressive? Like, whoa, really? You're trying Ooh, to sell me okay. this idea? Yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, just give me a, give me like a few minutes, like in the end of the news. And then the producers liked it. And then that was it. Like I was showing my work, um, which was we called it video postcards. So little snippets of life in the Philippines. And I was not getting paid for it, but I was so happy to do it because I was telling my style and my own story. Um, and, you know, speaking in my own way, you know, not so, not so formal in broadcasting. And that's how f started that's how the whole genre of me being in lifestyle and just speaking and researching and doing my own thing and it i little did i know that i was getting trained to be a producer to write my own thing to edit to know the language of broadcasting and yeah i fell in love with the medium and it's it's amazing that um it just all happened by accident yeah it was fun
0: I have to go back to what you said, that when you presented this idea that you had, people said you were being too aggressive.
1: Yeah. You know, because I, I was like a stalker because it was so hard to get an appointment. Like in the beginning, of course, when, they, when I signed a contract and I joined ABS, it was like I, was, I had access to the top boss. But after a while, when you're already a reporter, like to get a meeting upstairs, it's so major. So I actually waited in the parking lot. oh wow (laughs) yeah and I I I created my like VHS and I got a postcard and I did the artwork and then it was the early days it was like 1998 or 7 and I branded it and I told everyone no we have to brand I have to brand it it's called video postcards by Daphne like that's the brand and they were like what brand are you talking about (laughs) it was in the 90s you know I said no it has to have a feel like when they hear the music and see the logo, they know it's my thing. And like, okay. So I stood there and I was so excited. I gave it to the driver of Mr. Kioge, Yeah. And then he saw it and then aired it. And the next thing you know, like months later, I get a congratulations from uh, Gabby Lopez saying, congrats, you did it. Like you found a way to to sell your work. And I'm like, yeah. But <laughs> nobody,
0: I'm, I'm guessing that people were surprised that you did that because actually no one really it- knew
1: I didn't I didn't publicize it I was doing it you know like I had to find a way like because if I waited for me to get a break in ABS I couldn't speak Tagalog properly well enough for TV Patrol I did I spoke Tagalog but they were like you're you you can not even roll your R's like
0: yeah, it's a
1: different TV kind of patrol. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I was like yeah. okay so obviously I'm not in the running for that um, and then they said I could be a newscaster in in Studio 23. But then newscasting is a skill. Reading from a prompter and sounding like you're smart is a skill. I mean, you could actually be not smart and just be a good reader. You know what I mean? So I was, I sucked at, at uh, I really, I couldn't read. I was like, my contacts were drying out. My eyes looked like, you know, so I didn't look smart. And I said, okay, forget it. I cannot read from a prompter. I'm going to tell I think I could speak live. I could speak, you know, so that's what I did. And then um, found a way to do it so that that paved the way for a lifestyle show called F eventually, which I also had to sell uh, the idea. So I learned how to present a concept and convince the bosses, which eventually led to I was able to convince sponsors to by spots and things like that so i always say like all these skills that come out of your path uh they will make sense eventually
0: okay i'm gonna <laughs> hold on to that <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm sure that it, it wasn't easy i mean the, the broadcasting industry can be cutthroat so yeah. what are some of the most difficult things that you had to do while you were there
1: earning a living was hard because I came from uh, being a project manager of an international work. And then my salary level from Canada was equivalent to a vice president of the network. When I told them my salary, they like what I was asking for, they were like, no, you have to be a VP to earn that in the Philippines. I said, Oh God, how am I going to, so I was earning nothing as a, as an, I was like, I got in as an intern. So I was, I, I was poor. I had no money. I had no... My family was in Canada. So I was subsidized for a while by my parents. And I had very generous relatives who let me live with them. So that was nice. And uh, it took a while to to get comfortable with eventually... And then earning... Yeah, I would say the hardest was earning and negotiating for myself. But eventually when that that not became... It became a part of, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't a problem so much anymore. The other problems were staying there. Like, um, I felt that every time I turned my back, my job was not secure. Yeah, every time I took a vacation, it was like, oh, somebody's, you know, auditioning already. Like, yeah, <gasps> yeah. oh my it, God. It, it, I think you it's
0: an that. industry thing. Yeah, I think yeah. it's an industry thing. There isn't really any job security yeah
1: at all. although yeah. other people have managers so yes yeah, that's true. those who don't have managers kinda are at a disadvantage, so it's like what is going on and uh I learned the hard way, like uh it was hard to to realize that even your work you don't own your work in television, it's owned by the network and um yeah did it, you
0: have a manager
1: no, I didn't i uh I I didn't have a manager, I didn't have a portfolio, I didn't have a reel. In fact, a funny story is like, I was already in F and F was running very well. And we got uh, asked to do our first magazine cover. And for my co-host, it was not their first. For me, it was my first. And I didn't know how to smile for the magazine. I was smiling like in an ID picture, you know? (laughs) So Angel Aquino had to teach me how to smile like a model. And I'm like, this is so weird. And then uh, the same thing, like I got my first commercial. I was already an F girl. And oh my gosh, like a hundred takes because I had to say the line a hundred times. And they were like laughing because normally the the path before was you're a model and then you get like a manager and then you become a TV host. But I was like, no, I went straight to TV hosting and then learn the other things. So it was, it was fun. It was really fun. And I'm really glad that, you know, that was part of my story.
0: What are some of the lessons that you learned from your, from your career?
1: Lessons is that uh, nothing is, uh, everything will make sense eventually, that you have to value every bit of experience and challenge that comes your way. Because sometimes when you're in the thick of it and you're like, this sucks and I cannot take it. I'm I'm better than this. I should be number one. I should be, you know, you're like self-talking there. You miss the good things, the reason behind all of it. And I am so glad that I went through hardships. I'm so glad that I was hungry, uh, that I actually worried about you know, my salary and things like that. It, it made me more independent, more resourceful. And it made me carve out a path that didn't exist. I mean, you know, I, I have to say that it wasn't a normal career path. And I may not have been the top host or anchor, but I had good quality work. And I'm really, I always say that to other uh people who are just starting out and even to my daughters that you have to be proud of your body of work like and be in the position where you can already choose the kind of work that you do and if it's a little bit uncomfortable you know assess and see like where is this going to lead of course there are things that I had to do for free and things that I didn't want to do but I had to make sure that the experience was valuable that I learned new skills, you know, I I transcribed, I edited, I learned how to shoot, things like that. But if you go into a job thinking like, no, I have to be the I'm me and I have to be the star, I'm not gonna touch anything, you know, well, what good is that? You come out of there not knowing anything. So when everything was done, when when I lost everything, I realized, hey, I could start over because I know how to edit, shoot tell stories, go to sponsors, get my work out there. So, yeah, I I think that was one of the best lessons that I learned.
0: <laughs> when you say you lost everything, is that like yeah. you literally lost everything?
1: Oh, yeah. Imagine being uh, in a hit show and then being told one day that uh, this is your last episode and... You cannot say goodbye. That happened to us. F ended abruptly. We were not warned. We were told that day. So I know. And I was like, what? And I was crying because to me, F was not just a show. It was really, uh, I I got married there. And I was like, they were documenting my pregnancy. Uh, Those girls were my best friends in Manila. The staff was my family. So uh, for me, it was really like uh, very personal. And um, when I was told, um, we were initially told that the reasons were because uh, it moved to another network, a subsidiary network where the culture and the branding of the network was for the youth. So it had to be young. So they were thinking of many ways to make the show young, which was like, Wear jeans where you know wear young clothes speak like you know a 90s young person, and I thought after everything I've done to get this show up, you're telling me that now I have to act like not myself and I was under the idea that it, it was not about age, it's about storytelling and it's about a, you know like our fans were all all ages, so it was really hard for me to just to get the idea that you're changing the product and the DNA of our show just so that you could fit into another. Anyway, so it was sort of a complicated thing. To make a long story short, I was sat down after when the show ended and said and told basically that, uh, yeah, I was old. (laughs) And I was only 36.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness.
1: So I don't know if it was really deliberate, like get rid of her, she's old. I'm like, you know, I don't really... I still don't really have that many wrinkles, but okay. I understood. And then they said like, maybe you could try doing like a Martha Stewart ish type of show. And I, that's when I felt like, what, like, what is this? Like my next path is cooking and making a house. So I initially was very offended, but then I, after some time passed, I thought, Hey, that's not such a bad idea. Let me, tweak this idea and come up with something else.
0: This is not actually the first time that people have heard stories like this, that that there's a woman who was told that she can't do something because she's too old. I mean, yeah. there's you always hear about stories like this, but you never actually think it's going to happen to you.
1: Yeah, and when it does, man, you better pray that you're strong enough to hear it because no matter how confident you are, it hurts. And then you're like, is 36 really that old? And then you look, okay, well, there are 18-year-olds in the network. Okay, yes, but I, I've done this. I could do this. I could do this. Yeah. You know, you're like, and then they don't see it. So then the, it really shattered me. And I was also five months pregnant with my, with my eldest. No, no, with my second. Oh yeah. My so and then I was like, literally th- everything was taken away. Like I had no job. I was pregnant. Um, And uh, my husband was also going through some work transition. And we were like, what are we going to do? But uh, yeah, so I really uh, had some time to think. And then I realized, wait a minute, um, that's not so bad. Maybe we could do this and that. And then, uh, you know, when you're in a very adverse situation, an adverse condition, it can either break you or make you... Yeah. work hard and do something else. So, yeah. it definitely brought me back to the hungry days and let me create something new which was Urban Zone. And the next one was I said I want to own it this time. Like I don't want to make something and then be told that I don't fit in to my own product. Like I want to own this product. So I did. Yeah. I owned Urban Zone.
0: There are, there are so many things that an incident like this says about how society values women i mean that we have expiration dates that our only value is appearance or youth that there are certain roles that we have to adhere to once we hit a certain portion of our lives yeah did all of this go through your head and how did you process all of that
1: i didn't really uh yeah yeah it was so um it was hard but i have to say that all of this the feminism, the gender um, awareness and the issues that are so in the forefront right now is not new to me. I grew up in Toronto where it was really, we were talking about this years ago. Like, so I am aware of, you know, issues uh, about women. And I also knew that in North America, maybe it's not so much. Like people were, you know, the 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 more experience you got, the more valuable you were in a network, yeah? So I thought, mm, I'm not falling for this. And I also thought, I don't think it was the network that did it. I think it was one person who just said the wrong thing. I don't know. I'm not holding a grudge. I let I forgave that person a long time ago. But it's really, if you know, it's hard because everything else, everything that we know about um, equality and, uh, you know, women rising to the top. When you're talking about a visual medium like broadcasting, of course, it's subjective. A producer can say, I don't like your hair. I don't like your, you know, it's it's visual. So um, you, I think what's important is that you know that there is more to you than just that. Okay, because I didn't get that job because I looked young. I didn't get that job because I won a contest or something like you know or or a pageant that was not my path my path was i am well educated and i speak well and i write and why can't you see value in that so i figured okay if i can't fit into this organization i'll make my own thing and it was rather bold at a time when there was no youtube and no personal branding it was very very bold but i think that this boldness and Uh, energy and confidence comes with youth because I still consider 36 is still young it is not old okay so when you're when you're you know when you have all the guts to do things and start over it's easier when you're a little younger we only had one child Uh, at the same time also I think having a good education um, I still value education really a lot because No one can take that away from you. And so I had a degree in a top university. So I thought, okay, if everything fails here, I could go to any country anyway and still start over. So that's what I say also to my kids. Like, you want to be an artist? You want to be this? Make sure you have a degree because no one can take that away from you. And sure, life is not fair. Things happen and you have to be prepared and have the guts to start over if you have to.
0: Is there anything else that you did that you did after losing it?
1: So when F ended, I had my little Flickr, which is a, uh, it wasn't social media, but it was a photo dumping site. And I would save all my photos and email stories about my life. And uh, this was pre-social media, but I wanted to keep in touch with my friends and my family in Canada and around the world. So I would write, and then I learned how to blog. So this is the early days of blogging. And I really use it like a diary and a creative expression. Um, little did I know that it would eventually, again, pave the way to my brand called Daphne. So I redesigned my blog, it relaunched it to Daphne.ph. And I had time to um, create extra content. And I remember my little tagline was where airtime is free. So Daphne.bh where airtime is free because in television, every minute you have to pay for, but in the blog, you can write as much as you want and upload as many pictures as you want. So I was publishing my own stories. And um, I also had the experience of being an editor-in-chief before for Metro Weddings Magazine. So I knew how to, you know, what publishing was all about. And I was guided by those principles. And eventually... I was able to start a brand called Daphne and I hired a lawyer, uh, to do my, uh, registered trademark and then, um, converted a lot of my, um, endorsements into, uh, licensing agreements, which took a lot of education that I just learned from my lawyer. And then, um, it became part of my negotiations. For example, like somebody wanted me to endorse a bedsheet, A line that they were importing and I said well in addition to endorsing your brand I would like to design a line of bed sheets luxury bed sheets like would you let me do that and they said oh my god perfect just like Martha Stewart and I said bingo yeah so the Martha Stewart that they said that I was turning into uh, that I was so offended by now I embraced it and I learned her I, I was studying her concept of um licensing and trademarks and dealing with clients and things like that um i still didn't know how to cook at the time which eventually i did later on but yeah so it was uh i had a good decade of doing uh licensing agreements and this was with top manufacturers and retailers so my partners were in the level of uh bench national bookstore sm Rustans. you know so um eventually now of course uh Instagram is full of co-branding and collaboration and things like that. But uh, at the time, it was in a different level. It was a lot of legal work and uh, so exciting to see my name beside the Bench brand. And it was just amazing.
0: Today, everyone brands themselves and no one bats an eyelash. But back then, I'm sure not a lot of people were doing it. So were were you hesitant about it? Were you ever made to feel bad or did people make the situation awkward about your decision to turn yourself into a brand
1: (laughs) yes in fact it was so hard to speak that way uh my lawyer was like talk about the daphne brand as if it's a brand and you are the person it's different okay so when you talk about, you know, it's your product. And I would talk that way and everyone was like, oh my gosh, this woman, like, what is she talking about? But, you know, the clients got it and the market got it, but it was the early days of social media where everybody had an opinion. So I would read stuff like, Ankapal, this girl, like, why does she brand herself, trademark Daphne? And I'm like, well, you know, it it will make sense eventually. And I, what happened was I, I, I came up with really good quality products. So eventually the products stood for themselves. But yes, the idea of branding is uh, quite a slippery slope. But I always say, and I actually heard Oprah say this, like, how can you be a brand without a body of work? So it really depends on where, (laughs) where you're coming from. So I already had work. I already had values associated with my name and my work. And that was the DNA of my brand. But now it's like, you just get a logo and your palette, and that's a brand. Where are the values? Like, what do these brands stand for? What do these, what does your personal brand stand for? So for me, it was both a risk and also a really bold move. Like, you know, um, so it was like, uh, I put all my good work from broadcasting and my reputation behind this thing and took a risk. And I would like to think it paid off. Um, it's, uh, it's evolving now because simply because like you said, everybody on in Instagram is a brand. Why is mine more complicated? Well, because I have this, you know, I have the the backbone it's 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 a it's complicated web i have i have legal you know it's covered legally like i pay taxes and it's it's a company it's it's real <laughs>
0: what what do you have to say about the landscape today i mean with the influencers and with with the collaborations between the brands and and these and, and everyone basically on on social media i mean how different is it or what are your observations?
1: Well, I'm really uh, amazed at how dynamic it is. It's very good in the sense that uh, young people are getting really entrepreneurial. Those are things that were very hard before to start a business and to open a store. You know, we come from, I come from analog days where I had to present, like in order for me to sell something, I would have to present it to a client and get a spot, um, in a retail space like SM to, and I had to fight for the square footage of my bed sheet to be, to have the right to stay in that place. But now in the internet, anyone can put their product and everyone can just sell it in spot in the, my Shopify and things like that. Um, But uh, it's good. It also cuts a lot of corners. And I really feel like sometimes people are missing the, the the hard you know you know when it's when things are hard you learn more but now things are instant so it's also easy to break faster because you don't have the skills to catch yourself when you fall so it's both good and bad uh it's exciting um I don't want to be that dinosaur that's like well you know back in my day I had to present this like you know long thing but no yeah I think it's both good and bad and I think it's quickly evolving but now with like you said many, many collaborations, we are losing the essence of what brands are, what, you know, what they stand for. So I think like, because it's so common, people, uh, you don't know anymore what what you're buying because it's, you know, it's all made by one, it's a same, it's made by, let's say one manufacturer, we just, you slap on a name and that's what I didn't want. I don't want my things to be common and just, have my brand name on it. I we I worked hard on on developing products and and testing it. I mean, I had a line of scents like from Bench, like home scents, aromatherapy home scents. It took a year to develop, back and forth, back and forth. And when eventually it hit the market, it was uh like I don't know how the the, qu- the quantity was so large. It's when you're working with a large manufacturer, they invest in the inventory, so you better be able to sell it and your brand better be good enough to stand alongside. At the time, Bench was only working with like what? Gretchen Barreto, uh, Manny Pacquiao and then like, who are the people? It was just like in 2012. Olapang pang na industry, I think. Ba? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so it was like they were only working with the top stars and then suddenly there's a Daphne home scent. Like, who is that? I'm like, yeah, okay, well, it's in the home area. And then I figured, yeah. If Bench offered me a home line, then I think I'm, I'm hitting the market in the home. Like it makes sense because otherwise Bench is not going to spend millions on Home Sense.
0: What advice would you give to entrepreneurs nowadays, especially with the, in with this digital shift, and yeah. also to the creators because you were you you blogged a lot before and you really made a name for yourself there. But nowadays, you, you I mean, it's the creators really who are creating all these things that we can watch, that we can
1: consume? Right. Um, For both the digital creators and the entrepreneurs, um, if you think you know your market, you take care of them. Um, It's so easy to lose yourself trying to get the numbers um, and the hits and like, you know, what do you call the clickbaits and things like that. But you eventually, people are quick. People can see through all that. So if you are just going for the, you know, the, the impact in the beginning, but with, you don't back it up with quality later on, whatever it is you're selling, whether it's a story content or a product, um, it's going to fizzle out as fast as it came in. So when, when things go bad, um, your market, your fans, your followers, people who buy your things will stay with you. If, if you're connected, if you're, if you're work is good and if it's of value to them. So that's what I always am guided by. Like even in stories now, um, even uh, like even in recreate, I always say it has to be worth their time because this is television and they, they pay for a subscription. They, they watch it um, not on demand. They watch it live. So it better be good. And I'm still guided by in television airtime is not free you still have to make every second count so I still do that like it has to be beautiful it has to make sense they have to in the end of the show go to sleep thinking aha oh, was so beautiful what Daphne showed and I want to go there and I want to see that and I want to experience that because a lot of the things that we show are, are some are art and paintings and how do you, you know it's it's hard to Translate that in broadcasting. So it has to have a feeling. So same thing with products. Like, you know, I had a chair that was so beautiful and it's meant to be handed down to a future generation. And that's why it's expensive. It's good quality. It's handcrafted. It's not not just mass produced. You have to attach a value to your work, whether it's a product or your story. And go for quality, not quantity.
0: Your career and your image have revolved (laughs) for the most part around lifestyle and art and beauty and fashion. You know, there's this stigma that actually still exists that if you're a woman and you enjoy fashion or you like beauty, you're less intelligent somehow or you're not concerned with more meaningful topics. Were you ever made to feel that way?
1: Yeah, actually, because I think people get shocked that I studied urban planning uh, and art history. And I I was at a point in my life before where I felt that I had to always say that yes and no. Once I felt that I always had to prove myself that I was smart. And at the same time, even though we were talking about fashion, we approached it with journalistic integrity. We were not just promoting fashion. We always said, let's be editorial about this. Because at the same time, while I was doing F, I was also an editor-in-chief of a wedding magazine. So I said, we have to put these spas and these stories about juicy couture and things like that. We have to put it into context, put a little bit of, you know, what's happening in the world. Why is retail going like this? So, you know, you know, a little bit of macroeconomics and things like that without turning off a late night viewership that just wants to re- relax. So you kind of balance it with, you show beautiful things, but show substance as well. So it's a good, and that's, I think, what, what was so good with F, the girls. They were all so smart and we appeared... Very good, you know, glamorous, but we can talk. I mean, my co host back then, uh, Cher, is an Emmy Award winning news anchor in uh, California. So we're very proud of our work. Um, But if people want to see you as fluff, I used to get offended by that, but now I'm like, no, it's a weapon. If they think you're fluffy and soft, you know, surprise them later on. You're not soft. You're like, you've got you've got your ammunition you've got your information you've got your you got to keep learning and uh yeah i think like when i was younger i always had this baggage of like i want to be respected and viewed as a smart woman but now i'm like no i don't have to look smart i mean i'm just like this like so there's a lot i think it's 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 fun to see it through the ages i think you know a lot of there's a lot of things that you stress out about as a young person i'm like yeah. i want to be like yeah so I, we even had this, like, I remember because in broadcasting. They, it's like, they had this, you have to look smart. So cut your hair shorter. What? <laughs> I, I did. I cut my hair, pixie cut. I'm like, do I look smart now? Because I was smart. I mean, but apparently having long hair with curls <laughs> was, didn't look smart. Like, it's so weird. Hopefully now in this generation, it's all out the door. What would you,
0: like, for example, what would you tell your daughters now if if they went through... A similar experience.
1: Yeah, it's hard, you know, because uh, I only felt that in the Philippines. When I first moved here and I was representing my company, which is in urban planning and international development, and I was managing it in Guimaras, but there were times when I had to fly into Manila and uh, speak to senators. And this was in the mid-90s. And I remember going in there and then all these older men would say, Oh you should join being Filipinas and I'm like I'm the project manager of an you know multimillion dollar environmental thing and I'm we need to speak to each other on a project level and you're telling me to join a beauty contest I used to get, I was so angry I was like that's so offensive and then my cousins were like no that's a compliment <laughs> <laughs> so I was like what's wrong with this society But yeah, but instead of fighting it, I just maintained my dignity and my focus. I always say, get your job done and do it well and never be ashamed of who you are and uh, back it up with solid education and information. So if you say like, if maybe I handled it a little bit well, I think a lot of it also came from my growing up in Canada and being exposed to, yeah. uh, to, like, to leadership positions because their gender never really mattered. Like, you know, I went to an all-girls school and then I went to a youth University of Toronto and I always held a position of leadership that I had to run for, like uh, in um, student politics and things like that. So I think with that kind of exposure, even I think in Philippine universities, uh, you know, you become a little bit more assertive uh, the the dance there in the Philippines is that you have to balance the charm and then the you know your focus as an intelligent woman because you also don't want to look like you're too too much because I was also told that in the beginning you you know tone it down a bit <laughs> did, <laughs> you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you end up yeah did you tone it down yeah because well it was also coming from other women who were okay. like you know we don't do things that way you have to be a little I'm like really there's too many rules anyway. I just want to survive this. I was like, you know, there's so many things in broadcasting, but really it's what you make of it. And I always say to my daughters, just back it up with solid information in anything, whether it's whatever field you get into, like, you know, be smart about it.
0: What would you like to impart to your three daughters? Because you have three daughters. And yeah. then I can imagine that raising three girls isn't isn't easy. What, what are the lessons, the most important lessons that you would like to impart to them?
1: I would like them to realize early on that life is not fair. It's, there are things that happen that are beyond your control and there are things that you plan for that don't happen. Um, but I would like to think and pray that they have the resiliency to always bounce back, that their talent is inherent and no one can take that away from them. And that their education will matter. The people you meet along the way are valuable, not just because they're connections, not that at all, but because these are people that make your life what it is. Um, friendships and relationships with co-workers, they are very valuable.
0: Thank you so much, Daphne. And you know, before before we end, I would I, I know you've already Mention the things that you'd like to impart to your daughters. But personally, what what are the words that you live by?
1: Out of everything that has happened in my life, professionally, personally, and even health, women have health issues and things like that. It is really my faith. I'm Christian, I'm Catholic. It's my faith that has really pulled me through. So whatever it is that people are going through, Uh, I think spirituality, in whatever form, can help a person. Um, Integrity and honesty to yourself and to others. uh, uh, Those are my guiding principles: so faith, integrity, honesty, and everything else is a bonus, pixie dust. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being on What Glass Ceiling, Daphne.